you're tuned in. And I have another good one for you today. I have a guest who's about to join us. You may have even heard of her before. Her name is Marie Strader, and she's very active politically. So if you're engaged in the political arena, you probably have heard of her before. But let me tell you a little bit about her before she joins us. Marie Strader's foray into political activism began around the dinner table as she deconstructed the day's news cycle with her husband and three homeschooled children. She is one of the founding members of African-American conservatives, ACONS, and is the host of its critically acclaimed podcast. Marie has served as a communications and social media guru for a number of statewide and national campaigns, ranging from senatorial to presidential. In 2019, Ms. Strader was appointed to be a national advisory board member and surrogate for Black Voices for Trump. She currently serves on the America First National Engagement Council, an arm of the America First Policy Institute. The former digital communications director for the Republican Party of Texas, Marie currently serves as the communications director for the Bell County Republican Party and digital communications director for Alan West. Wow. Everyone, help me welcome Marie Strader to the Adrian Ross Show. Well, Ms. Strader, welcome to the Adrian Ross Show. I'm so glad you're here. It is so great to be here, Adrian. I really appreciate the invitation. You and I have been friends for a while, so it's nice to do this. I like the team up. And you know what? You hit the nail on the head. We have been friends for a while. So why in the world are you just coming on the Adrian Ross show? That's so crazy. I know. The cool thing about this sphere where you and I share space uh, is that you get to meet a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, you you form a connection with people, but there are other people that you just know are going to be friends that you just click with. And I, I've had that. And Thankfully, I have it with you. So it's it's right. awesome to be here. And I'm glad that we're we're doing this. But yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's weird because you think of your friends and then you think of like your guests, right? So yes, yes. Well, I'm so glad I have you, my friend, on the show. And mm. I already shared with the listeners and the viewers your bio. And I said, I know that there are some people out there who already know who you are because you have quite the bio. So those people who are in the political arena somewhat probably have heard of you, have seen your critically acclaimed podcast, ACONS, African-American Conservatives. One thing your bio doesn't detail, though, is the caliber of guests you have had on the show, the connections that you have on the show and beyond the show. Would you just tell us a little bit about some of the people you've had the privilege of working with or talking to? You know, it's so crazy, Adrian. I started at, out as just kind of a, a corner where Black folks could talk about, you know, because I'm sure like you, uh, right after Barack Obama was sworn into office, it was kind of like people coming up to congratulate me on my president as though, yes, you know, yes. the, the skin color made us, you know, 
ideologically the same. And that wasn't the case. So I reached out and I, I found some folks on Twitter, like my people, uh, and we were just kind of grousing about it a little bit. And uh, I, I uh, formed a connection with uh, someone online um, that I just said, you know what, we really should form a corner where Black folks can kind of, you know, secrete ourselves away and talk about some of these issues because, you know, the economy affects us. You yeah, know, absolutely. this whole thing about life affects us. You know, it started as a eugenicist movement to erase human weeds. Well, who yeah. were they talking about? They're talking about people who look like you and me. So yeah. let's just start this little corner, never knowing that it would turn into a podcast with people like, um, you know, Ambassador Bolton, Dr. Ben Carson, Alan West, who's also become a dear friend. Um, and I work with him now. Um, Ted Cruz, uh, Michelle Bach. Michelle Malkin. Uh, there have been just so many people that I just, uh, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, so it's just wow. been quite the ride. I mean, I just couldn't believe that, you know, uh, just a mom uh, would be able to sit on her bed in her jammies and talk to movers and shakers all around the world. Yeah. I mean, I remember it was actually this week it, on my memories in Facebook. Uh, it was like 14 years ago. I was talking to Daniel Hannon. I think it was 14 years ago, uh, the MEP. And he was in Europe at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, he's in Europe, but I mean, he was in like Norway or some place that we had to figure out in the middle of the night what the time zone was going to be and it wasn't right. right and then I had to call back and uh, but yeah it was just it's been amazing um, to not feel like I'm someone who is famous at all um, but have had that ride that's a pretty yeah. cool thing it's amazing the doors God will open amen you present yourself so I'm honored to be in your company well, today um I want to talk about, you mentioned the whole, the whole race thing. Um, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you're president and, and, and this, that, and the other thing, again, as if you're supposed to be extra happy, regardless of principles, regardless of policy or anything like that. But I wanted to have you on particularly today because there's a lot going on race-wise. Now, there always is. Yeah. But first, let me say, does it seem elevated to you or is it just more of the same? Is it just me that who feels that we, we've reached another level in this race war of sorts? Well, you know, I think part of it is the fact that people are making announcements about uh, jumping into the race for 2024. And we actually have a pretty diverse cast of characters. You've got two black men, you've got Tim Scott um, and you've got Larry Elder who are running for president. You've got a couple of women or you've got at least one woman, um, uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, and so you've got you know a pretty diverse group of people, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, who's also running so I think that's maybe why we're hearing a lot, because as people announce, um, you know, you're seeing these colorful faces, which I love, you know, I mean, it's not about the color of your skin necessarily, right. but, you know, like you, I have a background in the publishing industry and I was doing a consultation with one of the authors and I was saying, you know, you don't know how rare it is. Of course, this was maybe 14, 15 years ago. You don't know how rare it is for a little black girl. Um, and I was the mom of a, a voracious reader, uh, mm -hmm. a little black girl, uh, to walk through a bookstore and see 
someone on the cover of a book that looks like her. You just don't understand what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been the thing about this is just to see people uh because we've been telling people for years and years and years, well, it's not just white people that are Republicans or conservatives. There's a lot of us. But you remember that clip uh, on the news, uh, the uh, media, I can't remember, it was probably MSNBC or CNN or one of those stations um, that selectively edited people out. And so you didn't see all the black faces in the audience, you know, and then they did the whole Negro spotting thing at the um, the Democrat uh convention. So just those kinds of things where they edit us, it's nice to see this full complement of what the Republican Party, what conservative values really are, especially in communities of color, where these policies have been instrumental, they've been life-saving, they've been uh, game changers, really. Right, absolutely. Well, the importance of the conversation I'm having with you is that sometimes I find that everyday average people you're rubbing shoulders with, not talking about big name pundits, but your everyday average person, white person, I'm talking about whenever issues like what we're gonna talk about today come up, they sort of, many of them sort of clamp down. They they don't, they're, and we know yep. why, because that racist term is thrown out there. So some, I mean, some do speak out, but many of them, they, it will be like crickets. It'll may post something or write yep. something. And they're afraid that, you know what, if I say something, I'm going to, I'm going to be called a racist. And that's the worst thing in the world to be called. I knew, however, that I could have you on and you and I could talk about some of the things that other people may be thinking or, or have questions about. They may agree. Some may disagree. It's all good. But I knew that you would not hold back. No, and I won't. You know, it's crazy because a few years ago on the uh, Acons page, we were talking about slavery, I think. And 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 it was, I think Dr. Laura Schlesinger had used the N-word or something like that. And there's a big yes. kerfuffle about it. I and that. I did a I did a blog called uh, Stuff That White Conservatives Say for that exact reason, because we had somebody talking about, you know, you people need to get over that on my page. I mean, you come into my house, kicking up your feet on my couch and telling me what I can and cannot say in my house, which is exactly like what I what I expect we're going to talk about in just a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. people at The View just talking about these kinds of things and not realizing what that sounds like at all. Just like tone deaf, right? Yeah. So she's in essence on my couch, sitting in my house, telling me you people need to get over this, need to get over that, that some great things came out of slavery. Some of the foods and my lands, the the hymns and the songs. And I'm like, lady, mm. we endured 400 years of being beaten and whipped and raped and our kids taken from, you know, ripped from our, our arms. And you are talking about grits and, you know, some Negro spirituals. Come on. I mean, just completely tone deaf. And so I think there's this kind of guilt. Um, and I'm not saying the white fragility thing or any of that kind of stuff, but I think it's hard. Um, you know, you and I share uh, uh, our, the fact that we are both believers in God, big believers in God. And, yes, you know, yes. we've been studying um, in our Tuesday night class about David and how he sinned, but he was still a man after God's own heart. And Nathan came to him, he said, thou art the man, right. you know, and I think that that's hard to hear 
Yeah, I think it's hard for people to hear that they're wrong about something. And so they just kind of curl into themselves. And I think that's what we see sometimes, because when you read the slave narratives, and I was in a phase where I just had to read them. And, you know, I, I was on an airplane, and I'm not big into R rated movies or cursing or any of that kind of stuff. But on the airplane, they had Harriet, I don't think I even made five minutes through it. Um, Roots, you know, it, it's kind of like that Garrett Morris uh, skit on, on Saturday Night Live where he just, you know, couldn't handle uh, all the, the white people around him because he just it just made him crazy because you see these things and they're horrific. They're mm -hmm. horrific things to listen to. And I can imagine that there's a lot of guilt around that. But guess what, white folks? Adrian and I are here to issue you passes. You were not there. <laughs> you did not do that. You did yeah. not beat me. I was not, I was not there. Absolutely. So yeah. it is okay to have these conversations because, you know, Sesame Street, they used to say the best way to find out something is to ask a question. I think the only way that we're going to get through this is to have honest conversations about race, yes. not this kind of tepid sort of, well, you know, or touching my hair, don't touch my hair, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. But, you know, honestly, ask me a question if you don't understand something. I will ask you questions if I don't understand something. If mm -hmm. I don't understand something about your culture, I want... I think it's an honor if someone chooses to let you in and share that with you. And yeah. that's what we were doing on the ACONS page. We were sharing, we're kind of lifting the veil a little bit and inviting people in. And this person came up, came in and put their nasty feet on my, my sofa and my, yeah. Uh, yeah, my table and yeah. uh, ate chips out of the bag and told me to go get some more. And I felt disrespected because I felt like I was honoring you by kind of sharing some cultural secrets with you, if I, if you will. And this person came in and just, you know, like I said, it, it was not a good experience. And so I think that people need to not feel that they are responsible for what happened. And I think if you just have an honest conversation with someone, like the reparations conversations that we're having now, some of the 1619 stuff that we're hearing, just have some honest conversations yeah, well, and that will do a world of good. Well, you know, conversations are so important. One of the things I've said, I've said that black people, many are not willing to have honest conversations. That's true. Um, especially when you think about the political line that we see where so many yes. black people are on the left. And I, I've said over and over again, I said, everyone's like, well, when, when we have some, some big incident that comes up, I always say, people always say, well, we need to all sit and talk. And I, and I say, there's no point of sitting and talking if everyone's not willing to be honest. That's right. And I don't, and I don't think that, and I, I don't want to say all black people because that's not the case. Because I believe we are, but yes. I think that there are many black people who don't want to be honest about. They want to talk about, for for example, um, recently on the news with Tucker Carlson and the stuff that was leaked about him saying that's not how white men fight. Yes. And everyone was just all up in arms and that just added to their arsenal that he's a racist and all this other, other, other nonsense because we know with black people, all you have to do is suggest <laughs> racism and it's gone, right? Yeah. And you know, it's like, we're conditioned to be ready to, to fight that whether there's evidence or not, it's the suggestion, which is what the left does because the left knows that and plays that game very well. But when I talk about honesty, I said, I wrote something about this. Well, let, let, let me see all of your cell phones. Yes, I don't know did. what he meant yes. by that. I don't know what he meant by that, but I, but I will say this, black folks know 
There are things that black you folks say, say yes. stereotypes or otherwise. And to pretend that we don't, or they don't, whoever's doing it, pretend that you don't. I can't it's have an honest conversation yeah. with you because we do. There are certain stereotypes that are. We'll say things like, oh, you know, only white people would do something like that. You know, yeah. things, things like that. You know, different things like that. Is that racist? You know, whatever. Don't pretend you have not said anything. Yes. Or, you know, or I mean, that and that's what infuriates me, Marie, because I want to have honest conversations, but yeah. you can't have honest conversations with people who don't want to be honest. That's exactly right. I mean, I feel like, you know, in our community, um, well, I, I think I should back up and say that part of the problem is, and I'm going to be real honest, and, and that's, I think, what makes me maybe not as as popular as other people that you might see in the black conservative space, because I call out our own too. And I think part of that is our own problem because what you will see is when people start talking about, you know, some of the violence that we have seen, like, you know, uh, the unarmed uh, black people who have been killed. Um, you know, the first thing that we want to say was, well, what about the black on black violence in Chicago or whatever? They're apples and oranges. We need to talk about both of them. Both of them are equally as important. Do not get me wrong. But that's we have these kind of uh, just kind of cut and paste responses um, that don't help. And so I think to have some more nuanced conversations about some of that kind of stuff, because you're right, we don't talk about some of these things, honestly. And when I served on Black Voices for Trump, you know, I heard it. <laughs> you know, I heard it all up one side and down the other. I heard it all day long. But I had some honest conversations behind the scenes. Nobody wanted to do it on record because, you know, you can't can't do that. Um, you'd have to turn in your card. So I had some conversations behind the scenes and I said some of the things that we're talking about. Did you know who Margaret Sanger was? Did you know about the Negro Project? Did you know that she wanted to kill people that look like you and I? That she didn't want us to get too populous. You know, we're still only 12, 13% of the population. I mean, and this has been decades and decades and decades that we've only been 13%. So what is with that? Because we are killing our own children. We're laying down and doing it. We don't have to have Massa come take our children from us. We are laying down and letting them do it because yes. she has her clinics in our neighborhood. Yes. And so it's under the guise of you know what, what uh, Ronald Reagan said, I'm here from the government, I'm here to help, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. But we're letting it happen. And so we, we, like you said, we are just not ready to have those honest conversations yes. because we would have to talk about black on black violence. We would have to talk about how Democrat run cities I'm 59 years old. I have never seen a Republican mayor of uh, Detroit. I've never seen a Republican mayor of Oakland, California. And Johnny still can't read. These are still systemic problems in school systems that are run by Democrats. I mean, we just heard in Texas this week that there is a graduating class of some little uh, town that only five of the 33 seniors were eligible to graduate. Now they, they changed some of that. I think they found that they, I think 12 of them had worked really hard and gotten some of these things turned around because there was an outcry about it. Now, how much do you want to bet Adrian, if you were a betting woman, I'm not, you probably aren't either, but I'm just saying, if you were, how much would you bet that those administrators 
the school superintendent, the principal, the assistant principal, all make, you know, high five, low uh, six figure salaries. And these kids can't graduate. These are things that we need to talk about, honestly, in our community. And we won't. We want to talk about white fragility, 1619, and how black people are oppressing us. Why? You know, why? Education should unite all of us, right? That's right. And yet we fight against school choice, yet we vote for these people who flat out tell you that they're going to, they want to kill your babies in the world. How about Margaret Sanger? Some people, it's a light bulb. They've never heard of it, but there are people who hear it. Some of these politicians, they know, they don't care. And I, and and I had uh, a social media conversation with someone who at this week, who called me self-hating. He said I was self-hating because I was taking a stand on what one of the things we're going to talk about today, which was which is Florida, the NAACP telling, you know, issuing a travel advisory uh, in Florida. Black people stay away because, you know, they hate you there. And so and he called me self-hating and I had to I had to, you know, we went back and forth a couple (laughs) times and I had to tell him, I said, let me tell you what self-hating is. Self-hating is supporting a party or organizations that basically look at you, if I can quote from the, the play, A Raisin in the Sun, yes. that basically tells you, you ain't fit to walk the earth. Mm-hmm. You support that you are either self-hating and or absolutely deceived, you know? That's right. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out in, in the whole education thing and like you said, crime-ridden Democrat cities, yet people continue to vote for these people yeah. while they applaud a travel advisory to Florida issued yeah. by the chairman of the NAACP who yeah. lives in Florida. Yeah. Why doesn't the hypocrisy bother? Why do they <laughs> why do they why do they not even have to work hard for our vote anymore, Marie? What's what, what is it, do you think? Crazy because people use that stuff as a cudgel. Uh Adrian, I mean, they just use that to beat you into line. I mean, it's just like the how they used to use black overseers. You know, they just get you back in line. So you're self-hating, you're self-loathing, you're an Uncle Tom. And here's the thing that's crazy about that, because you and I are both into big, we're big into literature. We're both, you know, English. uh, That was like our favorite subject. Uh, You know, people don't even know that Uncle Tom was the hero of the book. That yeah. he saved the day that he gave his life in service so that he could, yeah, so they don't. Well, all they need to do, listen, the Jeffersons <laughs> even did a, 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 an episode on yeah. that. <laughs> Jeffersons, right? Oh, man. So I don't know. It, it baffles me. It hurts me. It baffles me. But I have to believe that there's that there's hope that, that, that people will um, be more, I, I mean, I was accused of, of being, I don't know what the term was, but I'm, I'm all caught up in the Republican Party. First of all, both parties are a hot mess. And so I pointed out, listen, I'm a Christian. And so I'm going to stand up for what Christ says. And I'm going to stand up for what principles are. It's not about, and he mentioned Fox News. I'm like, I don't even pay attention to Fox News. So you're wrong there, you know, but to call me self-hating when I'm the one trying to stand up so that they're not killing our babies, so that our children are educated properly. And you just follow, you're just following along because you're told that you're supposed to be a Democrat and you're deceived into following along with people who have not your best interest at heart. They want your vote. 
That's well, you know what's crazy about that is BLM. You know, I heard another thing. There's another $9 million that got raised or something this year. Uh, and what did it buy? Did it buy somebody another mansion? I don't see any HBCU scholarships earmarked for uh, entry into the criminal justice system. I don't see where any of these funerals were paid for by Black Lives Matter. I don't see that they did oh, anything please. except write their name on the street and buy some mansions for their top staff. That's all I've seen Black Lives Matter do. And yet they are for the destruction of the nuclear family. We did so much better historically, even under Jim Crow, even under segregation, even under some very difficult times. Uh, but our families were intact because we had a 77, something like that, per, uh, percent rate of two parent households. But now, our families, it, it's it's de it's decimated. I read a statistic a couple years ago that said that 17% of children reach the age of 17 with two parents in the household, in the Black community. That is a tragic statistic. But we don't want to talk about that. We no, want to no. talk about white fragility and how the white man is, is, is oppressing us. And that's what this whole thing with Florida is. And that's what makes me angry is it's not about Ron DeSantis saying that he is against teaching black history. It is in the, the code, the education code for Florida that you must teach slavery, that you must teach black history, that you have to. That is in their law, it's codified. What Ron DeSantis had a problem with, what I have a problem with, and what I dare say you have a problem with, and your listeners have a problem with, is the fact that they're trying to inject queer theory and CRT, which is, you know, you oppressed me and so I can't do anything now. And I mean, that's all hoo-ha because when has queer theory ever been a part of black history? Well, it's let, still let me, not a part of black history. I, I'm, glad, black I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you that why, why is there always a connection made between being black and the LGBTQ? And you're even hearing that from black people. What? What? And I always resist that. Well, you understand because it's like no, they're not the same. That makes me crazy when people say that because anybody watching this right now. Now, if you're on audio, I would suggest that you go to YouTube and look at this or Rumble or wherever you can see video. But you yeah. need to look at Adrian and I. You cannot look at us and not know that we are okay. not black. I mean, you, you look at me. You see a black woman, maybe yes. a biracial woman or yes. something of color. I got a little flavor to me, right? Yes. yes. Nobody can look at you and not know that you're a black woman. That's right. Yeah. Yes. It's getting increasingly less so, but it used to be that you can't look at a gay person and know that they're gay. Right. Now, right. they've got the crazy hair and the, you know, 7,000 piercings and all this other kind of stuff. These are stereotypes. I'm saying, generally speaking, you're seeing all of this kind of, you know, kind of craziness. But it didn't used to be that way. And so you can't look at someone and I can't look at that person and say, put their resume in this pile. Right. right. So that is kind of crazy. Um, you know, if you see uh, a resume and the name is something that sounds a little on the ethnic side, uh, because, yeah, I, you know, you said it. I didn't say yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Say, for example, mm. you know. Um, I might put that in the other pile if I'm kind of a Karen and I, oh, no, no, thank you. But here's the thing. 
about that because right now there's some professor somewhere you know we we got all these people that are professors of these weird kind of nothing things right so she's a professor somewhere and she said that you know working with white people is so exhausting i need mental health days because you just you people drain me so if I'm the hiring manager, maybe I'm not a racist person at all, but I see that ethnic name and I put you in the other pile because if you're one of those people, it's like, I got to go home because Karen over there is <laughs> working my last nerve. You know, I got a business to run, you know? So if you're doing this kind of white fragility stuff, you know, as your, you know, boss's day gift to me and all this kind of stuff that I can't deal so we bring it on ourselves yet again. These are ways that we bring stuff on ourselves. And but yet we want to blame white supremacy. And that's just nuts to me. Mm, absolutely. And that's why we're here talking today. Let's let's revisit. Um, we touched on it, but let's go back to the NAACP travel advisory <laughs> in Florida. Okay. Uh, we are told that, and I'll just read some of it. This was uh, May 20th. It was for immediate release. Today, the NAACP board of directors issued a formal travel advisory for the state of Florida. The travel advisory comes in direct response to Governor Ron DeSantis's aggressive attempts <laughs> to erase Black history and to restrict diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in Florida. And the formal travel notice states, Florida is openly hostile toward African-Americans, people of color and LGBTQ plus individuals. Before traveling to Florida, please understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African-Americans and other communities of color. Hmm. Now, you already started to talk about what Ron DeSantis was really talking about in terms of education. Yes. He's not against. No, not at all. History. And he said that, I mean, things that we've seen since then where they lodged this, you know, again, another cudgel uh, to, to beat him with, you know, he's like, it's in our education code, it's baked in. I can't do anything, you know, it's absolutely something that we teach in our schools, but it's this queer theory. And like you said, we, we, we've tied it into this whole LGBTQ thing. And I really believe going back to Black Lives Matter, where it says that we're going to destroy the nuclear family. That is what this is all about. It is to normalize this behavior where we have already taken men out of the home and awarded women welfare checks through the, the great society. And that's when you started seeing a lot of us turning to the Democrat Party, by the way, um, is, you know, we've taken men out of the home. So fatherlessness is a huge issue. Well, who did that? It was the Democrats. So we've taken the father out of the home. You're deconstructing our families. And now um, you are trying to disrupt the nuclear family by indoctrinating these children to let them think that, you know, having two mommies, having two daddies, being a girl when you're a boy or being a boy when you're a girl and tucking, you know, this whole tucking thing that they're talking about with Target clothes when you're two years old. I mean, you know, it's just some yeah. crazy stuff, but it's this indoctrination that we're trying to bake into our children because when they get to be older, those boundaries that are now still societal kind of taboos, you know, kind of some of the polyamory, you're starting to see a little bit of bestiality, some of these kind of way outliers, um, minor, minor attracted persons is gaining traction 
you know, you're basically saying that you want to have sex with children. I mean, that's a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. And I'm related to someone who is a child abuse survivor, child sexual abuse survivor. I have seen the trauma and the, the, the destruction up close as to what that does to you. So, you know, this horrible stuff, but, you know, we want to start using these euphemisms and deconstructing these things so that, you know, in a generation, you know, if you, we were talking about it, it Bible class, my, my oldest son is, is teaching the adult Bible class, which I'm inordinately proud of. Um, and that's the thing I'm indoctrinating him and that's fine. That's true. It's my, my kid, my rules, you know, and I'm teaching him to set his heart toward God. But we're talking about not moving the ancient landmarks. And that's what we're doing. We're moving all these landmarks now so that when, um, you know, this generation gets to be my son's age, he'll be 25 this year, you know, then all this stuff will be normal, right? Because Blue's Clues is talking about pride parades and, you know, Elmo and all these, you know, Muppets and stuff. There's a couple with, you know, two dads, a Muppet with two dads or whatever. So all of this stuff is normal now. And so all these boundaries are erased. So if you want to get married to, you know, Peppa Pig, you go right ahead. If you want to have six husbands and a and a wife, you go right ahead. All this because those we've all died out, and these kids have grown up on these new shows and all these t-shirts from Target with queer, 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 and six, 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 and you know, Satan honors pronouns and all that kind of hoo-ha that I don't even play with. I, mean, well, I don't even play listen, with that stuff. Um, you know, then we've broken down those barriers, right? Well, just uh, my last episode, uh, I had a school board member on she's also in, edu- in in education her husband's in education she's done youth ministry it's a very good friend of mine school board member we talked about the i don't know if you've heard about the world health organization and the united nations and what this this guidance that that has been issued starting at birth they yes. want children to be taught about sex to be taught to masturbate, to be taught about sexual partners. And they have it lined out ages zero to four, ages five. They have the whole thing. And then by the time they get to, what is it, 12 or whatever, at that point, they should have their their sexual experience. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a piece of work, but. And it's all pleasure. It's all centered around me, my, I want to, this feels good to me. Yes. Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you this. Hell's not going to feel very good. No, it's you and, know, and God doesn't want you to start messing with the children. You think, you know, yes, a millstone, but, but bringing, but, yeah, but bringing that back to the classrooms in, um, even in, in Florida or elsewhere, we don't, well, they do, but we don't want children. When I say they, I mean, the NAACP and some of these other folks, they want children, white people to feel guilty yep, and they want black people to always feel like a victim, victim. And that's so scary. And that brings me to, let's go to our president. President Joe <laughs> Biden was asked, although there were some black students on video who were saying, I don't know why he's here. And I, you know, I believe in respecting the office of the president. I do too. The students did not, it wasn't that they didn't like the office. They didn't know why he was there. But anyway, but he was there. And part of his speech was about, well, white supremacy and let's just uh take a listen if you're listening and and watch if you're watching what our president went to howard university historically black university and what what he had to say racism has long torn us apart it's a battle that's never really over 
But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to st stand up for the best in us, to choose love over hate, unity over disunion, progress over retreat, to stand up against the poison of white supremacy, as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. And I'm not saying this because I'm at a black HBCU. I say it wherever I go. To stand up for truth over lies, lies told for power and profit, to confront the ongoing assault to subvert our elections, suppress our right to vote. You know, my, my reaction to that, my first gut reaction, and, and maybe it's wrong, but I feel like saying he should know. Because, you know, his whole thing uh, being against the desegregation, the whole busing thing, uh, you know, the very first words I ever heard him say about Barack Obama were that he was clean and articulate. Uh, to tell Charlemagne Thagat, you know, little G, I got to do that. I know. <laughs> you know to, to say you ain't black, to tell our brother he's not black. Yeah. That's like Joy Behar, you know, with the whole thing with Tim Scott, that people with impunity can sit there and say some demeaning things to our faces and not feel like that's racist, that that's not condescending. Yeah, yeah. well, we're going to we're going to get to that, too. But he, his speech is, you know, kind of clouded over as some kind of, uh, well, supposedly some uplifting speech. But he, you know, he's talking about racism, but he says that that white supremacy is like the greatest form of terrorism. Those aren't his exact words, but you know, his language was even stronger, I believe. What what is that all about? That well, we're domestic terrorists. We're we're domestic terrorists. We are domestic terrorists if we go to a school board meeting and say you will not teach this pornography like we were just talking about in our schools. You will not teach my children this. You will not promote you know all of this garbage. Um, but that makes us white supremacists and terrorists. So again, it's a yet another cudgel. Again, it's whips that people are using to keep us in line. And I don't like that imagery of slavery, but. That's that's really kind of what it is. It's you need to shut up and stop talking. So he doesn't believe what he's saying you're saying? I believe that he believes some of that, but it's hard to know what he believes anymore. Do you know what I mean? It feels like he's got some handlers that write things to him. Uh, the fact that he was able to memorize that speech, <laughs> that's at least what I think. I think he's memorized that speech. Um, but there were some, you know, things where he kind of slurred a couple of words here and there. And, you know, his faculties are not what they used to be. I believe that he believes that. I don't think he remembers that he was against busing and desegregation. Well, the vice um, president sort reminded him before she jumped on <laughs> but, but you know and and that's not the only problem that he's had i mean no. you know uh the whole uh thing with corn pop was kind of creepy uh you know and he was a bad dude and he hung with some bad boys and just this this kind of almost you know hillary clinton keeping hot sauce in her purse sort of pandering that that oh, they yeah. would do well, to course. black folks but, and but what bothers me, sorry to interrupt you, but 
What bothers me as much as what he's saying about this being the greatest threat to terror, you know, the greatest terrorist threat is the applause. Yeah. Well, you I asked to, you, if, well, I asked you if he believed it. There's a whole lot of pandering going on. Okay. Um, and, and, and so many people, some people do believe it and, and many people just use it because they know that's what gets black people riled up. And as you can see, they're applauding. So are you saying that black people, would you say most of them believe what he's saying? I think that there are a lot of people who believe that uh, white supremacy is the problem. But here's the thing, you and I are two articulate college educated women sitting here today having a nuanced conversation about race. There has, I, I, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for myself. There has been nothing Nothing as a black woman that I could not do. There's not a store that I could not walk into that or that had a separate door for me uh, or that I had to drink at a separate fountain. I think, okay, the civil rights movement was signed into law three months after I was born. Okay. So theoretically, I mean, I was in diapers, so there wasn't a place for me to go. And my mom was white. So I'm assuming she got to go on the white side of things, but I'm saying that there's been nothing that's been withheld from me. Education was what got me out of the hood. And I, I did live in the hood. I lived in public housing. So, you know, I've tasted government cheese, so I know. So, you know, but, but that's something, that, again, I think, Adrian, because if we had to talk about something other than white supremacy and the belief that the white man is holding us down, we would have to talk about black on black crime. We would have to address fatherlessness. We would have to talk about this whole thing about, um, abortion and keeping fathers out of the home and welfare checks and all that kind of stuff because we don't want to deal with that we, we're not we're not ready for those conversations Adrian. you want to talk about some conversations yeah. we're, not we're not ready for yeah. those conversations right. it's too much easier to say karen and ken are responsible for my right. oppression and you need to give me a check for five million dollars no it started out, it was, I forget what it was. And then it went up to a million dollars and then it was $5 million. And now there's not enough money in the world that's going to take care of the problem. Well, you know what? Like I said, if BLM had given up some of that money, they raised 464, was it billion dollars? I don't know. Something crazy don't like that. Um, yeah. And all they have to show for it, like I said, is the street and the mansions, you know, the BLM oh, written on the street. Yeah. Did they... Like I said, do they ever do any scholarships to get more black people into community policing, into the criminal justice system? The people that they talked about, Joy Behar, when she talked about Tim Scott, you know, he was for the Justice Act and com community policing and inviting people to the table that don't normally talk about those kinds of things. He gave an eloquent speech on the floor of the Senate about driving while black. Uh, you know, all right. of these things, well, but nobody wants to talk about any of yeah. that well, we're because gonna, we're gonna, we'd be nuanced. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk even more about that and listen to exactly what they said. But and I, and, and I don't shouldn't have to say this, but I will. We both know that racism does exist. It does. Course. But I also believe that that a lot of the a lot of people on the on the left don't want it to go away because then they would have nothing to to talk about to run on and all this other stuff and we'd but, have to admit our own prejudice well he, he, here's the irony i think of his speech i mean this happens you go to the black college and he went on to say i don't just say this at a at a black hcbu, HCBU. I, was, that's, 
I and noticed that. That's so funny. Yeah. That's the very first thing I noticed. I'm like, yes, um, the B in HBCU stands yeah. for black. You can't have historically black college. Right. Exactly. The black. Yeah. But, but, I get, but his point, I get his point. <laughs> I, don't, I don't just say that here. I say that everywhere I go. And I'm like, yeah, because you're pandering everywhere yeah. you go. But the irony yeah. to me of that is about talking about the oppression and talking about the racism and all that is that you're at a commencement exactly you're at a these these individuals have achieved they have the white supremacy you're talking about has obviously not held them back you're there to celebrate their success not saying they haven't had hardships or anything like that but isn't that the message not just that all the white man's boot is on your neck and i think that we constantly and that's what i believe ron DeSantis was also trying to fight against yes you you start out with this victim mentality and then you just want people to be victims and they're clapping they're caps and gowns but they're clapping about white supremacy and all that they cannot do Instead of saying you are on the cusp of the rest of your lives, you've achieved so much and there's still yet more to achieve. And this whole like not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps that Joy Behar was saying, I mean, that's a good thing. You want people to pull them up by their bootstraps. That's that's an amazing thing. But, you know, again, Adrian, we're doing it to ourselves. We have our own graduation ceremonies now. Mm. Um, we, and I'm talking about at mixed universities, not obviously at a black college, but I'm saying, you know, we've got our, our black graduations. Now we want to segregate ourselves, uh, on campus. We want to have our own spaces away from, uh, white people, because again, exhausting, you know, Mm. that kind of stuff. And so we're, we're baking this kind of mentality in rather than college being a place where you are open to diverse ideas. It's supposed to be where you hear new ideas, you meet new people, you learn new ways of thinking. My mom was from a, a, a town in Arkansas, um, and I didn't ever see anyone that looked like me until I think maybe once driving on the highway through the town um, on their way somewhere else. Uh, and, and I was probably close to 20 at that point. So, um, you know, my cousin told me that it was her going, cause she was from that town. It was her going to an, a university in, you know, uh, several miles away, you know, an hour and a half away before she ever saw people that looked different. That's what college is supposed to be. It's supposed to open us to new ideas. And I'm not saying that going to a historically black college or university is a bad thing. It's not. And I think that that's wonderful um, because if you really learn the history of our people and not the 1619 stuff, because in 1619, we were still a British colony. You're a teacher or you have a teaching background. You know that. I know that. Everybody watching this knows that. And the people perpetuating this know that. But again, it's this, it sounds really good. And we've been victims for 400 years and the white man is still oppressing us. And yet every single one of them has probably got their uh, resume out somewhere right now looking for a job that has college graduate, you know, after it, you know, a BA and whatever, or an MFA and whatever, you know, you've got all of these degrees. Now you've got people, a lot of these kids are probably first generation college graduates, the first in their family. What does that do? What does that change for the generational wealth? And here's one last thing I'll drop on you. 
do you know who it was that extended the, the uh, economic viability of HBCUs? It was Donald J. Trump. And I was sitting in the second row when it happened. I was in Atlanta when Black he unveiled the premium right plan. Black voices for Trump right here. Yeah, well, Donald Trump really uh, gets a bad rap. He the, does. Whole, the whole racist thing about Donald Trump. And I'm thinking, well, was he a racist before he became the Republican uh, nominee and then president? And then he was hanging with Jesse Jackson and, and uh, Al Sharpton in those pictures. Yeah, I know. And we know Bill Clinton's black. So that's why. Yeah, I, well, he was the first black said, president. I'm sorry. Said, I should have said that it was Barack they, Obama. I was wrong. Uh, something Willie. Slick, slick Willie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But, um, but anyway, yeah. Well, let's. Since you mentioned Joy Behar and talked about pulling up the, you're pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't watch The View. I, I mean, what I catch is because of some clip here or something that I've read there, but I can't even stomach Social it. Media. I'm like trying to remember, no, figure out who no. these names are. I know who Whoopi Goldberg is. You know, I know obviously who uh, Joy List Bay <laughs> is. You know, I gotta say this. Somebody said before, it's so interesting. These women seem so miserable. And yet, think of their names: Sunny, yeah, Joy, Joy, and Whoopi. I know. I've heard that. And yet it's they're true. Like scoundrels, right? But we're going to take a, a a look and listen to uh, some of the conversations surrounding Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott, announcing that he was jumping into this race for 2024. Let's take a listen. One of the issues that Tim Scott um, has is that he seems to think because I made it everyone can make it ignoring again the fact that he is the exception and not the rule and until he is I, the rule he has then he can stop talking about systemic racism thomas but i do think that he, he has championed policies mm. specific to help the black and brown community the first step back which many i know a lot of liberals think it didn't go far enough but it helped in the first year get three thousand inmates released into rehabilitation programs those are all great he was the champion of the emmett till anti-lynching act which i think was able he was one to of them yeah he was listening them and i don't take it Look, he's done some good stuff. Okay. But if you're running for president, you got to do more. Thoughts? You know, one of the first thoughts that I have is where uh, Whoopi says, you know, a lot of people do stuff and he's done some stuff, but it's not enough. Let me tell you a little story. In 2004, there was an amazing program called the DC Opportunity Voucher or DC Opportunity Scholarship Program. And it was by every measure. It took little black kids um, from economically disadvantaged households and gave them a voucher to go to whatever school they wanted yeah. to go. And they did tests and follow up and all those kinds of stuff. It was the most successful program of its kind. They blew kids, the public school kids, out of the water. They blew, uh, kids that uh, were not black out of the water by every measure they they do you know who put that program into place it was george bush and the republicans in 2004 do you know who pulled the rug on that program? Tell it, tell it, tell oh, it. girl let me tell you let's spill the tea as they say it was barack obama who was sending his children to twenty four thousand dollars a year in the lower school that's not the high school level yet. At the lower school, $24,000 a year, Sidwell friends. And who was his vice president? It was Joe Biden. 
He pulled the plug. So it's kind of like rules for me. It's like Gavin Newsom going to uh, the, 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 really expensive lunch while everybody else is locked down in COVID. You can't, you guys can't be trusted to leave your houses. You got to wear a mask, but we're going to go to, you know, this uh, and the hair French salon. cafe and the hair salon and his winery didn't close down. Cause you know, got to keep the aunt Nancy's money, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And I'm just saying, it's kind of crazy that these are the liberal elites who like to say those kinds of things. And as I said, without impunity, not thinking how that must sound, you know, to talk about a black man who has, I mean, he talks about his growing up in poverty and fatherlessness and how he had a mentor that glommed onto him and that education was his way out of the hood. And it was the way out of mine. And it was the way out for, for many uh, of the kids that I grew up with. But you know, when my mom died in 2007, I went back to the community where I grew up and this is 20 years later, right? I was 44 at the time. And so a lot of the, the girls that I grew up with were grandmothers and they were younger than I am how can you be a grandmother so it's this third and fourth generation cycle of poverty and again there's nothing stopping any of us from being able to go and get a better education and I'll tell you this to the point that was made well you know uh you know some black and brown people you know it's fine for him to say well he was able to do that Every single college that I know of has programs. If you don't know math, we'll help you. Of course, math is racist. You know that because Google it. I'm telling you, it was in the Huffington Post or Salon or one of those kind of crazy left wing. Um, But, you know, they have places where they will tutor you. Uh, We have we've said you don't even need an SAT to get into school anymore. Uh, We have lowered we've dummied down everything. We have lowered the bar. We've erased the standard so that you can get in. So what is stopping you then from being able to get in? But then if you do that, you can't be able to say, well, the white man's keeping you down because there you go, right? So you've taken that cudgel away and we can't use that to beat you into shape anymore. Well, it sounds to me that they don't, the, the, they don't want you to do well. And now, and and I, and I'm, I'm one of those people, obviously, I mean, I've been to college, I have a master's degree, et cetera. I don't believe college is for everyone, but even those who don't go to college can, many who never go to college are, are successful and they do, you know, they do well, they're hardworking, they're respectable. But if I'm listening, is it Sonny Holston? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I believe that's she yeah. she's saying, well, he doesn't understand that he's the <laughs> exception. So in other words, it sounds as if she's saying he needs to shut up and stop talking about positivity because Joy Behar went on to talk about how he was, you know, so like Ronald Reagan, you know, and just positive, you know, which she, you know, and Trump is doomsday. She was contrasting that. But she's just like, well, he's the exception. So so it's like we need your permission to to tell our story and to give hope. All we are supposed to do is to go into schools and tell them that they're victims and do what Ron DeSantis is trying to keep them from doing in Florida. But when you start bringing a positive message, then you are, what did Whoopi Goldberg say? You have Clarence Thomas syndrome? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, to bring yourself up by your bootstraps means that you are being self-sufficient rather than accepting a government handout. And we know if you accept a government handout, the government has you and therefore they will vote for you. And that is what we see in our community. You have conversations behind, like I said, you know, behind the curtain with people and you can have some nuanced conversations because we have different conversations when we are outside of the sight of other people. But, you know, that's the problem is that it's all tied to the government largesse. And that yeah. is how you keep a voting block. Um, and, and if you think about it, you look back at somebody like Booker T. Washington, who had the Tuskegee school, uh, you know, the, 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 where they taught trades. Yes. And you, to your point about trade schools, you know, to make 40 something dollars an hour, 60 something dollars an hour and no debt because you've got apprenticeships. We're looking at apprenticeships for uh, my youngest son uh, because he's got some some learning disabilities. And so I think that to be able to do that is something extraordinary. You will always, always need someone to uh, be able to fix your car. You will always need Absolutely. somebody to do your uh, HVAC or whatever yes. it is. You know, you will always need a plumber. You will always need sanitation workers. You talk about uh, people uh, changing their minds about something, then you have the sanitation workers in New York City go out during August or July and you've got a problem, right? You know what? I heard someone say uh, a few days ago that the more successful a person is, the more the left, a black person is, let me be clear, the more the left hates them they they they, and they they pretend that they're for you but the more successful you are the more they hate you because they want you to stay in your place and that is in need of their approval and their assistance now let's listen well hang on a second i want i want to respond to that because you know what i think i think some of it may be tied to the fact that when you are more highly educated, you're able to command a greater salary. When you command a greater salary, you become more of a fiscal conservative because you want to protect that money. And you see that their conservative, the fiscally conservative policies actually help you keep more money in your paycheck. Because when I found out from my husband that his uh, that he had people in his family that voted for Ronald Reagan. You know, I had brought, been brought up in a liberal household and Ronald Reagan was like, <gasps> you know, you, you oh, yeah. grab your garlic yeah. necklace. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I right? relate. And yeah. so I'm just saying, you know, but 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 I think it's we get red pilled, if you will. Um, and so we don't want people to do well because when they do well, they may become conservatives. And if they become conservatives, they won't go back into their community. You know, we want to keep them separate. Sure. Uh, so yeah, and, I, I and think de- yeah, yeah. And I should have said this too: the more successful a black conservative is, the more they hate that person. It destroys their narrative. Their narrative is that the white man has you down. That's the narrative. And so a Tim Scott who's saying something else. Or Ben Carson. Or Ben Carson. or I mean, 1% in the world, neurosurgeon. But they're, they're, you know, you're not supposed to think like that. He's not supposed to give you that message. They're the exception. You didn't hear that. Let's go back. Let's work it back to... President Biden reminding you that racism is here to keep you down. Ignore the little man behind the curtain. Yeah, let's look at the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. All right, let's listen to and see what Joy Behar had to say 
following uh, Senator Scott's announcement. What are we actually seeing here? What What's happening? Well, isn't he Professor Positive? <laughs> he is. Unlike Trump, everything's bad. There's doomsday. He's more in the Reagan-esque morning in America. Things are fabulous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he's also hedging his bets. He doesn't really go out and say he's not pro-choice exactly. Although he did say, what did he say? That he would vote for anything they put on the table, the Republicans. Mm -hmm. So he is not pro-choice. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he's like Clarence Thomas, black Republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps, rather than, to me, understanding the systemic racism that African-Americans face in this country and other minorities. He doesn't get it, neither does uh, Clarence. Right. And that's why they're Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that made me mad. I have to say, that really angered me be on a lot of levels. Uh, not just the bootstraps, not just the fact that he's sunny, not, you know, not all those things, but the fact that they, that sh she as a white woman knows more about being black than a black man, one, and two, the very fact that she would call a Supreme Court yes. justice, not yes. Justice Thomas, but Clarence, mm -hmm. affording a black man. I mean, why didn't she just call him boy and be done with it? Yeah, I mean, I know that's a terrible thing to invoke, no. and I don't do that lightly. But I'm just saying, I, it jumped that out is, of me. That is just that is what she did, and she needs to hear that that's what she did. But she's here's the thing: she will never hear it. So, how did we? But get she knows more about being black. So, well, yeah. well, listen, how did she get to the place? Where, and, and many people, many white people, do this. How do you get to the place where you feel it's okay mm -hmm. to put another black person in his or her place and school them on what it means to be black? You see, Senator Scott, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand about systemic racism. So let him take notes from Joy Behar. <laughs> who's, who's been a systemic you know, segregated uh, a whole black life. You know, it's just like, uh, what was it? Uh, um, Steve Martin, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, how, how have how have we made that? Okay, why is it someone who I don't know who runs The View or whatever? Or what is it? ABC? I mean, yeah, I why guess. is it I've... someone sitting her down and saying that's not acceptable? Let me ask you this, okay? Because we just talked about this whole kerfuffle with Target. Mm -hmm. or, or you could talk about with Bud Light. You know, somebody said, hey, let's do this crazy campaign with this trans person, yeah. uh, you know, with the, the beer. Because, you know, that's a, a, a beer drinking population that you see all the time. You go into any bar, of course, it's just full of trans people, right? No. <laughs> so I'm just saying, so let's do that. Or let's put Satan on a t-shirt. Because, you know, Satanists, those are our, con those are our constituents. You know, how many layers did that go through where somebody conceived of this idea, somebody went to a marketing department and pitched it. Somebody said, hey, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Then a whole team of people came together and said, well, this will do this for social media. Yeah. And we'll put this on TV and yeah. we'll do this, you know, in the stores to make them look this way or whatever. It had to go through several levels. It's the same with the view. Somebody had to, you know what I'm saying? And but it's okay to say those things because they're saying it about us. About again that cudgel because it was about a Republican. Because it was okay. a Republican, and their ideas are repugnant. 
Exactly. Because we want you to stay as a voting member of our block. And, and they, because and because we're starting to think for ourselves a little bit, because mm -hmm. under President Trump, you saw that shift of people who are black voting for him almost, yeah. I mean, it was like 15, 12, 15%, maybe a little bit more. Um, so now we have to open up the border and let all these people come in illegally because we need another block. We got to replace those those bodies. Oh, don't say yeah. replacement. You'd be yeah, like yeah. Tucker, you'll be in trouble. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, I know. But, but they can't cancel me because, you know. I know <laughs> well, I, it does, it does. That really makes me angry because I have been schooled before by, it's bad enough when black people want to, tell you to stay in your place when you're a conservative oh, yeah. uh, and they're on the left. But when a white person feels that it's okay to put black people in their place, tell them where they're supposed to stand and where they're supposed, and, and, and they know more about what it is. I can't wrap my brain around no, why that's no. okay. Where's Al Sharpton? Well, I got there? angry. Yes, I got very angry. And I took to Twitter and I said, the fact that a white person has absolutely no I mean, they're tone deaf. Mm -hmm. they, they have basically said to someone that they know more than a person who has, I mean, as I said, if you Google Tim Scott, Senate floor, driving while black, I think it was July of, I can't remember, it was like two or three years ago. He, it was the most moving speech I have ever heard. I was crying. And we watched, I watched it with our kids and we were all just riveted to the screen. If you have studied anything that he did with the justice act, mm -hmm. and that's where he said, I'll do anything that you put on the table. They took what he said out of context oh, and put yes. a position on him that he does not hold. But FYI, I'm just saying the justice act, he said, look, you can do whatever it takes to get this passed. I will listen to any idea that you have. I will give you a super amendment, which is basically a you write your thing in here and I will I will help you pass this thing because the community policing, all of these criminal justice reforms, Adrian, you and I know mm -hmm. in the black community that there is unease with community policing. We know that there are issues. And so for a, a senator, if you read through the Justice Act, but nobody did. It was just, oh, here's this, you know, Sambo, Uncle Tom, blah, blah, sellout, Negro, whatever you want to call him, because they call us those names, again, to shut us up. They don't know any of the things about us. And if they had read through this thing, because I actually took the time and I read it, even though I love Tim Scott, I've met Tim Scott, I've met Tim's mom, and I'm, I call him Tim. And I know I said the whole thing about Colin Clarence, but I actually know Tim Scott. I know his right, mom. Yeah. His mother beams. If you think he's Mr. Positivity, he got it from his mama because his mother, all she does is look at her son and see what he's done in this world. And she lights up the room. She yeah. loves her son, and he is good to her. And oh, he talked yeah. to my children and he got down on their level and looked them in the eye, talking to them. So I get angry yeah. when I hear these people who do not know these venerated men who are serving their country and doing these things. And so for this man who understands what it is like to drive while black, who is trying to make things better in his community through these policing reforms and criminal justice reforms and things that, that, that you know, uh, President Trump tried to put through. I mean, they worked together very closely right. on this act. He gave him, uh, President Trump gave him credit for this. 
And yet they want to vilify him and call him these names and try well, to treat him like he's a little child and pat his head. That oh, made oh, me angry. Yes. Well, notice, notice what Whoopi had said, though. It's not good enough. Well, and Whoopi, where is she coming from? She here, dated a man who dressed up in blackface. Um, so okay. she's going to tell me about being yeah. black in America? Well, she, this is, right. And this is the thing. What he has done, he has to do more. She said, I acknowledge him. He has to do more. He will always have to do more because he's a black Republican. <laughs> it will never be enough because she did not have the same standard, obviously, for President Obama who was accused by some of his greatest supporters in, uh, in government, why aren't you bringing your bus to the black community? Or the DC voucher program. And in the education, you know. So it's, it's, it's so hypocritical. It but, is. Um, and and hip, the hypocrisy is there with the view. It's just, it's, it just seems like, I don't know. steroids. It seems like hatred. It's it so intense. And some of it, seems demonic, you know, but that's a whole different conversation. But I'm glad that we are having this conversation. We're going to, we have to wrap up, but, but I know we could go on on about what's going on. Uh, Marie, with all this, with all the challenges, we obviously have um, an election that's going to be coming soon. We have um, quite a few people who are, have entered or are expected to enter into the race and we've got all these race issues. Is there hope for America? It's, it looks really bad, but I'm gonna ask, is there hope for America? Well, girl, you and I know there's always hope because okay. it's not about this life. It's not about this world. It's not about any of that. So mm-hmm. if that's what you're looking for, you're gonna be sadly disappointed because Satan's the ruler of this world and he don't like anything to be nice, right? I mean, this is why we can't have nice things, right? <laughs> it's Satan. So death, destruction, all of that kind of stuff from a biblical worldview. There was a man during the time, he was a, a concert pianist named Huntley Brown. And he said during the time um, that President Obama campaigned, I believe it was the first time, he said, I don't process uh, political things through my blackness. I process things through my lens of Christianity. So there is always hope. If you are someone who is a believer in God and you really have an understanding of what it means to be a child of God, you've done all the things that you need to do scripturally. And I would encourage you to read the book of Acts if you don't know what you need to do to be saved. Read through that. You'll see every single one of those people did a number of things. All of those things that, that, that you need to do to have a relationship with God, do those things and you will see that there is so much hope. My husband and I were talking because I saw Cole in your background, just a little, not Cole, it was Trooper that I saw oh. in your background just a minute ago. Uh, and I don't know if you'll edit that out, but I just, you know, nope. we've been having some issues. We've been having some issues with my cat, as you know, uh, she's 18 and, um, news yesterday was not looking good for her. Um, the good news is things are looking much better for her. But, you know, we immediately went into this whole thing about God and how good he is and this world is not, you know, uh, uh, it. And, you know, there's a there's a place waiting for us. But we all seem to uh, fear death and, and fear all of these kinds of things. But that should be like you're packing for a vacation. That's the thing you've been saving up for. That's the thing you've been looking for, right? That's the thing that you are, are looking at as the best place to be. And the only place to do that is to put yourself in God's hands. So do I fear for this country? On some level, I do. And I, I as a mother and as one day somebody who will be a grandmother, you know, and, and their kids will have kids. You know, I have said motherhood is my ministry. I have set them toward God. And that is the 
best way that we can combat this world oh, is to have children. You train them up in the way that they should go. That's what Proverbs says. That's what I have done. I've put all of that into my children so that there will be a remnant. And that is how you combat this. So, yeah, I mean, you could say that uh, there isn't any hope, but there have been uh, a number of covenants, right? We had the patriarchal age, we've had the whole mosaical age, and now under Christ, God has always had a remnant, always and there will always be a remnant, yes. and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So as long as that's there, yeah. I have So the answer hope. is yes. The answer is yes. It, it looks hope. bad, but the light it's is just in Christ. Bad. It's not here in this world. It's right. Not in this world, but there is. Before I let you go, I got to ask you this last thing. I'm going to put you on the spot because- you are familiar with uh, a lot of people who are uh, running for office and you like, I'm sure, um, many of them. And I'm asking you for your answer. I'm asking you, do you have an answer yet where your support is? I can tell you this, of the people who have currently declared themselves, there are some people that I like and one in particular. Okay. Uh, I could say that, but we still have time and there are still time for other people to declare themselves. Yes. And so that could change based on some things. Um, and so I reserve uh, to be able to see the full complement of the cast of characters, if you will, because we know on the Republican side, folks get a little crazy and it can be like 23 people or oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, the Democrat oh, yeah. side is like two or three, but on the Republican side, there's like 90 and they all hate each other and you're the worst thing yeah. since sliced bread and no, 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 no. And then it's like, oh, hey, come join my cabinet, be my oh, vice president. Yes. And, and yes. you know, it's kumbaya and we're all friends, but yeah. Well, thank you for that. The primary season can be very. Painful. Long and challenging. Be very painful to watch. It's an hour. It's a year and a half away. Yes, as we beat up on, uh, as they beat up on uh, one another. But I, I, I believe that they will. They should, but I believe they will. Keep in mind that number one, the one you're running against, is President Joe Biden, because we That's can't right. handle four more years of what he has brought to us. That's what I fear is more of the the uh, irregularities and improprieties. I don't want to get you banned. So I will just say <laughs> some of the concerning election integrity issues that we're facing in this country. That's who that's the opponent that I fear. Mm, that's another. Yeah, that's another one. Uh, if we're talking with. just worldly stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Marie, thank you so much for your first time. And I hope not your last time on the Adrian Ross show. I appreciate everything you do, everything you have done, everything you are doing, everything God willing you'll continue to do. And I appreciate you taking the time to come. Now, would you please tell everyone where they can find you and keep up with what's going on? Well, first of all, I wanna thank you, Adrian, personally, you're a friend, love you. Um, I thank your audience for uh, slogging through a few moments, getting to know me a little bit better. Uh, but you can always, and, and I want to say too, I would love for you to be on ACONS. You can love find ACONS at ACONS, A-A-C-O-N-S dot substack dot com. You'll find all of our social media platforms there. Uh, you will find links to our podcast. Uh, you will find us um 
just about anywhere there's commentary there. But yeah, you can find uh, us there. You can find me personally at Marie Strotter on Twitter. I have a, a, a Facebook page, a fan page there. Uh, that's Marie Strotter, Acons in parentheses that you can find me there. Uh, but you, if you look hard enough, you can find me. Oh, he can find her. He can find her. And many of them have found you before. So go tell your friends so they can be up with what's going on and uh, what this woman brings to the table. Thank you so much for being on the Adrian Ross Show. God bless you. God bless you. I really enjoyed this conversation with Marie Strader. Talk about rich. We covered so many different things. And I know we could still be going on and on. Marie Strader, make sure that you keep up with her and what she's doing. Uh, Acons is um, especially rich. She gets to talk to a lot of really influential people. And she's just a good person who loves God, loves her family, loves this country. All right. So I, of course, have to tell you that you have to go to the BMG Network. That's the bmgnetwork.com. Check out the other podcasters there. We are engaging, enlightening, entertaining. Yes, I think I left that one. Yes, we are informative. I can't leave that out. That's important. So make sure you go there. Also, go to adrianross.substack.com, adrianross.substack.com. There are various subscription options. We need to support people who are standing up for truth. I, for one, am standing up for truth. I need your support. So go to adrianross.substack.com, check it out. Also go to a major podcast platform, leave a rating and a review, follow so you don't miss anything, and go to The Adrian Ross Show on YouTube. There's so much going on, all right? So don't fail to check it all out. All right, I will catch you next time on The Adrian Ross Show, which I'm sure is going to be good. God bless you. Abundantly.